What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments, episode 72 of our beautiful show. Um, a little bit about Ping Pong before we get uh, ingrained into our episode today. Ping Pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. An account with Ping Pong enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving or making international payments all in one platform uh, to save time and save and increase operational efficiencies and allow sellers to manage their business profits from one single source. To find out more information about how Ping Pong can save e-commerce businesses like years, money, go ahead and click on that link below where we will guarantee to save at least 25% on your international payment fees. Go ahead and check that out or just to learn more about Ping Pong payments. It's a free account. Go ahead and sign up today. But again, for everyone who's watching on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, or Twitter, welcome to the show. This is Crossover Commerce. If you're new to the show, I go live about four to five times per week in order to bring you the best tips and tricks in the Amazon and e-commerce space. So I'm really excited about my guest today. Um, again, this is live. So if you have questions, go and put those in the comments and link in the in the spaces below. On If you're watching on Facebook, LinkedIn, again, on Twitter or YouTube, Go ahead and check that out. And if you can't watch it a whole episode live, go ahead and subscribe to our social media channels, whether it's Crossover Commerce with Ryan Kramer on Facebook or on YouTube as well. That is under the Ping Pong Payments YouTube channel. Just search uh, Ping Pong Payments on YouTube and it'll be a playlist all to itself. Again, this is episode 72. So we have 71 prior episodes that have awesome knowledge in different topics on the Amazon e-commerce space. But again, four to five times per week, we're bringing you the latest and greatest in the Amazon space. If you can't catch us live, go ahead and subscribe to our uh, podcast also on the audio form. We're also on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, truly wherever you consume your podcasts. And that's what we'll be. Just search Crossover Commerce as well. But about our guest today, um, to a little bit about our intro to him, uh, he is the co-founder of Seller Tools a robust suite of optimization tools leveraging actual Amazon data. He sold one of his flagship brands for multiple seven figures and quickly moved to consulting for eight and nine figure clients on Amazon. He is obsessed with creating data-driven solutions for seller tools clients by empowering sellers with the best data alongside exclusive features. You can find him in an amazing community of FBA sellers through Facebook on FBA Kings. Um, the company Seller Tools is an optimization and automation platform for FBA sellers providing world-class tools and solutions to manage Amazon businesses. This all-in-one platform uh, with over 10 unique tools provides solutions of keyword research, listing optimization, rebate automation, product ranking, review capture, and overall business optimization, helping seven and eight-figure Amazon earners uh, along the way with their cutting edge tools, resources, and data for expert level sellers. Why don't everyone go ahead and well, help me welcome and introduce to the show, Troy Johnson of Seller Tools. Troy, what's up, man? How are you doing? Hey, Ryan. Doing great. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a day. Like you said, you and I were chatting a little bit before this. I, I've lost track of what day it is already. It's It should be the weekend in my mind. It's beautiful outside. My God, it's it's kind of one of those days, man. I know. I'm right there with you. It's a beautiful day here. I'm, I'm managing the, the sun, the lighting. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful day to, to be looking outside. But I'm <laughs> I'm also just trying to get a grasp on what day it is. There's there's so much going on and uh, but all good things. It's it's a right. kind of busy. Well, it's it's that way. I not just like I feel like 2021 has been more like put your head on straight again. Like it's almost been like spun around for an entire year. And like you see all these recaps now with like a year later after the COVID pandemic hit, and you're like Oh shit, that was a year. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I I thought I thought we were like in 2030 already. Like, my God, like this has been like so like mind spinning, but it's been in both good and bad mind spinning, right? Because obviously the all the bad things but come with good, especially in our space. And we're here to focus on the good, obviously. But um to kind of kick us off, I always ask my guests, like, what what what's your journey like? Like tell people what how you got to where you are today, what's kind of that 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 beautiful story that you get to paint to people that got you to where you are today. 
Yeah, I mean, my my path was um, very, I mean, I, I guess I find it unique, but um, I, I came from far more of a, a corporate background myself, a lot more straight-laced coming from a military family of, um, of you know, going to school, doing well, great grades, you know, uh, paying uh, paying for school myself and like just really a hard work ethic, but following a little bit more traditional path of more corporate type roles and positions. And so nice. this opportunity of Amazon e-commerce was kind of a, it, it came about through exploring different side hustles of ways that I was kind of drawn up like, okay, you know, this is at the time, uh, what my, my trade was, uh, in the, in the corporate sphere was project management. So I did that for, uh, digital marketing company. I did it for a uh, sort of a travel um, a marketing uh, type of uh, agency environment. But I was always looking for different ways of of kind of making some some side money and, and pursuing side hustles. And so, at that point in time, uh, this course and program, ASM, Amazing Selling Machine, uh, was starting to get thrown about uh, a little bit. And actually, where I initially heard of it. Um, one of the side hustles I was starting to pursue was uh, real estate investing. So I was uh, looking at wholesaling. I was looking at flipping all these, you know, different so ways. What, what years was this, by the way? This would have been back in roughly 2015, I want to say 2015. Okay. Um, and uh, at that point in time, I believe it is ASM two. My, if my memory is not failing me from amazing.com, uh, right? Just to be yes. on the same page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I so, too, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's right. I always, I always forget and, and recalling the, uh, the story. Um, and, but it, in this early phases, you know, when right. it was really still, um, and, and all honesty in terms of when I initially seen it, it, it felt very, I don't want to say internet marketing, but it, it did. Uh, it was a little bit like, what is this? Like, what are people doing? They're selling on Amazon. Like, it's not the way that we view it now where it's like, oh, of course, like Amazon is what it is, you know, the ability to leverage it, the understanding of FBA logistics, the ease with that you sent, pro like right. all these things that we know we know. Um, it, it, at first blush uh, back then, uh, it was still somewhat unproven, right? You know, you would still see a few of the testimonials and you'd see some of these examples. And, and me in a, a corporate role, I just sort of thought, well, you know, that's either somebody else or... It's just uh, just another you know opportunity out there, right? Um, but what actually came to be the real estate investing group that I was a part of, they had a uh, opportunity to where an angel investor would come in, pay for the course, and give you essentially seed capital would would uh, help you buy your first run of inventory, um, and all you had to do was just say why you'd be a great fit and you know um, submit a few paragraphs. And I did it on a whim; it was like over a weekend. So I won that. Had an angel investor come in, have us uh, then kick off the course um, and uh, initiate the process. And really through all of that, the foundation of me starting more of an entrepreneurial journey, but also getting truly into the FBA space kind of happened all at, all at once. Um, <laughs> you so, got thrown in the deep end, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I've you know, never worked with an angel investor. Again, somebody who's a little bit more straight-laced and, and corporate uh, you know, these are things that you just, you hear in passing, but you're just like, nah, I've got my nine to five. I've got my, right. you know, I've got my, um, things that I know that I have to do in front of me versus I have healthcare. I have all this other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The security and the, yeah. Um, so that really kicked things off for me and, uh, it was a great time to get into FBA for sure. Um, where, you know, you, if you were aggressive, it, there was a, really disproportionate advantage for those that were willing to um, deploy more, invest more heavily. Um, but yeah, that's really what, what kind of kicked things off for me and building some of my initial brands. Um, and that was a journey for about two, two, uh, two years, two and a half years before I sold my, my first brand on Amazon. That's awesome. So, so you were going in more of the investment route. So investment back then that they would give you capital to start your business on FBA, right? Just to, we're all clear on the same page. So you had to pitch an idea or a product to sell, I'm assuming, correct? To the to the angel investor? To the angel investor. Yeah. What was the pitch like? Like walk me through that pitch. Like what what was that like back in 2015? Like obviously yeah. things have changed now in terms of investments because you got money thrown around like it's, you know, uh 
like water, like they're giving away for free basically. But, um, (laughs) but, but almost like what back then people are like, it's an unproven. Well, I won't say unproven FBA got really sexy 2014, 15, 16. I would say that time frame. That's like the marker when everyone really got excited. What was an investor looking at back then? And then maybe like you, you've talked to investors now, like what, what's changed clearly. So maybe walk through your personal perspectives in that regards, both ways. Yeah, it was really interesting. So the, the angel investor I ended up working with, he was very close with the content creator, sort of the, the main uh, affiliate uh, that again okay. was part of this real estate investing network. And so I think there was, there was a greater expectation of success by virtue of this angel investor being so close um, to the affiliate. And so for me in the process, it was pretty fluid. Like I was, you know, requesting samples from China. I was looking at a few things domestically sourced. Um, and so there was a good amount of discovery where I was able to, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't blowing through, through cash or anything like that, but I was just sort of figuring this thing out, um, along the way. Um, so fortunately I didn't have to give any kind of huge pitch or anything that was like, Hey, we should go with this product for this category, here's the long-term vision. I really sort of stumbled into uh, what would be my first product that then informed what the entire brand looked like and what the product mix. So it was kind of a few sort of fortunate steps, I would say. Um, what, what One of the things that was an indication, real small thing, but this is, I mean, I think this is kind of the story of business, is that you know going combing through some of the ASM resources and the course materials, there was a, a handful of like 50 product ideas. And mm-hmm. one of the things that stood out to me was, was a beauty product. And I thought, well, hey, let me, let me explore it, start going down the rabbit hole, venturing and looking at different vendors. And that was sort of the seed of the inspiration from which the entire brand ended up being sort of built out of. Um, so it was <laughs> in that sense, in terms of the investor relationship and just the openness and the fluidity um, looking back on it, because again, I think about it today where because there's such an influx of capital, cash, and exposure, there is a, a I think, a brighter light on FBA. I, I almost don't think, th- I feel like those circumstances are would be quite rare, right? Same, same, you know, I'd be the same way, Ryan, if somebody was like, oh yeah, you can be an angel investor, but it's like, you know, slide them $10,000 and say, well, yeah. go on your way versus give me a pitch, give me a business, plan, like lay yeah. things out for me. Um, so it's kind of fortunate in that sense. <laughs> no, it's cool. No, I mean, yeah. and, that, and that's something that I think like, that's not an opportunity. I think like a little people more are like acquiring and kind of building it now. And we, we talked about this too. Um, but again, for everyone who's watching or listening, if you have questions for Troy and I, again, feel free to, to comment and make sure you like say hi, if you're watching and passing, or if you aren't watching this live, go ahead and comment your thoughts because we will also see that later. So if you're watching in the FBA, uh, King's group, or if you're watching on any social media platform where ping pong payments is, again, go ahead and say hi, give us your thoughts. Um, because we're going to be talking into more about like owning your Amazon ecosystem. And it's actually pretty topical because of recent, uh, updates that Amazon's actually doing. So when I saw this and I looked at that update, I go hot damn, like look at that timing. Like we're going to, we're going to go down a really nice hole. Uh, but yes, yeah, what's up Sharon, uh, from, uh, FBA alphas as well, uh, check her and her group out, uh, Thanks for dropping by and saying hi. Um, but what, when, when we're talking about investors, like obviously now we're aggregators are the big are the big space right now. Um, the, it, it's really interesting to see that people have a different mentality going to FBA, right? It, it went from side hustle to like, I'm going to make break away from nine to five. Now it's going to be, I'm going to have a full-time job. Now it's going to be, I'm going to start a brand so I can build a opportunity to exit in two years and then get a nice, really big paycheck from this asset that I've built. So why, why this evolution in like mentality of a brand? Like, where did that come from? Is it the money that's coming into the space? Is it just the businesses that people have been able to build through tools like you guys, or just through education and forums? Like, what's that evolution been like for you? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a beast that's kind of fed itself. I think uh, you know, especially too in the in the in the backdrop of of COVID e-commerce. And you sort of say, okay, what's the biggest puzzle piece there uh, in terms of Amazon? And then the biggest puzzle piece just gets bigger. Right. It's we're we're in such unique unique times for sure. Um, and you know, looking back in a five six year period of time, a relatively short period of time, just to see how it's exploded, 
Uh, and to your point, Ryan, the, the cottage industries, you know, the, the SaaS, the payment solutions, all of these things that really are uh, bolted onto the whale that is Amazon, they, they also feed themselves too, right? Like we're, we're different ways of helping brands uh, come online and then effectively scale. And I think the aggregators and the, the PEs, the VCs, it's just, it's sort of the, it's sort of the eventuality. Um, I, you know, it's, it's easy to say you could see the writing on the wall. It's just, I think where we're at now, it's, um, it's really interesting. I think when you allude to businesses as assets and we're throwing around some ideas before we hopped online, I think this is where brands, uh, or individual sellers have a unique opportunity to think about, um, sort of a non-traditional path to, developing or creating their asset and the means with which they sort of pull the value out of it. Um, because you know, that's, those are the ideas I'm, I'm exploring when it comes to the brands that we run or the brands that we're starting and the captive audience and the val like the leverage that Amazon gives you, um, you already have such a, such a high watermark of being able to capture, to get any product, the ease with which you can get a product to a fulfillment center, the ease with which Amazon can get that to a customer in the vastness of that network as it, as it's ever growing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm, I'm an Amazon fan, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, yeah. It's just no signs of slowing down. And, you know, um, it's, I think it'll just be, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see as, as, as there maybe gets to be more normalcy and people are getting out and they're, uh, experiencing things and, and, and maybe traveling and do, you know, uh, a, a present that looks different than our most recent past, I, I think will be really telling for how e-commerce responds and new categories coming back online. Um, and old categories that have been faltering brands that we've, you know, you've almost turned PPC. It's just not even, there's no sense in getting into travel luggage, those types of things. Um, so it's, yeah, it's both an interesting time now as, as in terms of its, um, where it, what's gotten us here. Um, uh, but I think the next six, six months into 2022, um, it's just going to be really, really interesting to watch and see, especially with our top, you know, with owning from a seller's perspective, brand perspective of owning, uh, owning your customer with that backdrop. Right. Right. And that, that's the topic that I, again, we, we put it in quotes, everyone, you're not actually owning again, your customer. Like it, it's not, it's a, it's a hypothetical. So give us a break. We're, we're playing on words here, but owning a customer. And if people are new to the space, this is something that may, they may not understand. Like what, what data and accessible information they have in order to kind of almost build a, a following, right? Everyone wants to build a brand now, or you're not just selling a product, you're building yourself, whether it's a brand that's personal or you're building a, a company brand. Now, Amazon doesn't help you in many capacities, and it used to be that in their Amazon Fulfilled Shipments report, you'd be able to look at a customer's name and look at their business ad or their address or wherever they're ordering from, right? And in that kind of in that ecosystem, people like Seller Tools or companies like Seller Tools, you can make lookalike audiences and start retargeting where they're located, um, finding people that were you know, selling or buying online your products and finding them through like social media and things like that. That's going away as of, I want to say April 8th, I mm -hmm. think is the right day of what I wrote down. How big of an impact is that for sellers who are both a starting out and then b scaling their business? Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely huge. And I mean, that really shows up when in, in the, the funnel, um, in the discovery or finding customers, um, and hopefully supporting and, and, and engaging and building loyalty as well. Um, but that's where I know disproportionately a number of sellers were utilizing this data and figuring out ways of, hey, how do I deliver relevant ads to a captive audience? Um, so at the, at the seller level, it makes things quite, quite challenging. Um, and you add to that, not to, not to bolt on another sort of seemingly drastic. What else could go wrong, Troy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the other news too is, is, uh, is Google, um, moving away from individual, right. um, level targeting. They're moving kind of to cohorts where you sort of anonymize at the individual level, uh, but you see groups and clusters of people. Um, and you know, there, there's all the hypothesizing and, and, and playing out hypotheticals of what that looks like, but what it does mean very, very clear, clearly 
is individual level visibility, which as a brand owner, if we start with the premise that you want to know who your customer is, you want to know uh, how to engage with them, how to support them, the types of things they want to hear and see from you as a brand. And you want to cultivate that in terms of a long-term relationship. Uh, without question, this is a knock, um, sort of two knocks on both of those fronts mm -hmm. on being able to reliably do that. So in that regard, is that more is that more um, negative on the Google side or is that more negative on the Amazon side, do you think? I, I relatively speaking, I think I think well, I'm I'm sort of biased in this. I think the Amazon right. update probably has a more drastic change. Um only because I I the groans and the responses uh from this update were very apparent. Very apparent. Um I was gonna say, what's your audience taking on this and like this wasn't a shock to a lot of people in the space. Like it almost had writing on the wall. Is this more of a, like it was, it was going to happen eventually. So people have kind of, it's lessened the blow a little bit, but what, what's kind of that response from your guys' audience? Yeah. I, from, from the audience, I think there was, there was more of a, um, because I, I felt quite differently. I, I knew it was, you almost treat it like it's already gone. Um, right. that, that expectation should be set. And I think, the the surprise caught me but a little bit by surprise because I'm thinking we're we're at a point now we've been through a number of protocols by Amazon audits that they conduct to make sure that the safe use of this type of data we can reliably share. Right. So at the seller level, there's no mechanism there to know that somebody is being a good actor and you know because this is data you can abuse. Let's I mean let's yeah, be real when 100%. you know who somebody is you can spam them. That's like that could be a byproduct of that access. Not just online, you can do physical like mm -hmm. uh, anything physically too. You can send them mailers, you can send them like phone calls. Like you you there's a lot of different ways to like you said spam a, a customer and Amazon's always touting customers number one safety and security of a customer is always going to be first and foremost. So as a seller, this is a definite blow, but as a you know, consumer, like this is maybe a good thing. Uh, obviously it's more protection, but, um, yeah, it, it's, in it's interesting for, for sure. Sorry to cut you off there. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think the, but to your point, the response, I think, um, it, it's been a, it's been a surprise, mostly in terms of its timing and obviously, you know, sort of a month you got you have a 30 days countdown here where I know a lot of people are doing a look back. They're uh, exploring other tools because um, at the seller level, again, it makes sense. And for us, uh, let's say at seller tools, where if we meet those compliance standards and there's the availability of um, order or customer relevant data, that that to me, I think, painted my perspective of like, let's let's assume at the seller level, this is really going to this is really going to phase out, um, which is unfortunate. Like I said, I know many who used it in we, we're talking about spamming, but let's you know, the other end of the spectrum is just supporting your customer, wanting to know what their experience is like, how can you do better, meaningful conversations, sort of a, a D to C, uh, good business practice, buy, you know, interest in the buying experience, um, that that can taper off uh, as well. So it's, uh, you kind of take, you have to take, take it for all for what it is. And this is where um, we've been already in a big period of adjustment for, let's say other factors, things that we utilize that help us with owning the customer experience, you know, things like ManyChat have gone through drastic changes really since about the time of the election into this year. Um, and so I, this is where I know sellers, uh, the groans probably got louder because some of their main strategies have been altered to a degree. And then we've got this Amazon news and then we have this looming Google news. So, you know, it's, I think it, for me, it reinforces brand owners sort of look at this as a opportunity. If they see a lot of groaning, a lot of concerns, a lot of maybe inaction. That is a perfect sort of environment from which to be more aggressive, to pivot more completely and, uh, recapture some amount of predictability. Cause th these are, this data can sometimes be uh, core elements to your systems and some of your automations. And so it may be sort of foundational changes you have to make where, hey, this strategy has to be tweaked. We have to fold in this other you know, tool process system. Um, but that I, d I do think it speaks to how powerful um, having this data at the end of the day was. So what are you guys suggesting to sellers? Is it go back in as far back as you can get, download those reports and download the customer data, 
and use it as best you can to still create look like audiences because you got a, about two weeks or so. That's the grace period that Amazon's theoretically giving people theoretically giving people um, to, to do that. Is that, is that what your guys are suggesting? Like still utilize the data as you can, but you know, once it's gone, this is what we're going to suggest next. So what's that mindset from you and seller tools? Yeah, I, I would say first and foremost, sort of the 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 uh, what are the the Google um, motto or creed? Don't don't be evil. You know, when you pull this data, you know, same same point that we're touching on of span like don't use it in such an exhaustive. Oh, you think you've got to be so aggressive? Um, so handle it with care. Utilize it to look at maybe audience targeting those types of things where somebody has to opt in um, as opposed to being so overt. Um, but yeah, it is a good practice to to go ahead and capture that data while you have it. Um, utilize it in a, in a safe manner. And then I would encourage exploring other options that maybe help with the objectives you're aiming to achieve. Um, tools that we work with at Seller Tools, things like Zon Tracker, which does some of the lookalike audience and the audience building. Um, we work very closely with them to sort of say, okay, what data do we, do we have? How can we paint a clear enough picture to where there is the reliability in that targeting? Especially if, again, if you're saying sort of at the seller level, it may be really hard to, to give systems like Facebook or, or, or other, you know, ad platforms, uh, adequate inputs to, to reliably serve up, um, relevant, relevant ads to a relevant audience. So there are, again, there are tools that have jumped through the hoops that have more data right now. Um, and then the other piece of this, which is, is sort of crucial, and this is where you weigh the, the, your just strategy overall on Amazon is how are you currently owning the pre and post purchase for a majority of your customers? Um, this is where you sort of have to weigh, you know, Amazon PPC, um, which is ever evolving, ever changing. And it makes sense, right? You put a billboard up on the most high, highest traffic area in the neighborhood, you're going to get a lot of eyeballs and, and mm -hmm. hopefully it turns into sales. But the transactional nature of that can be very limiting in the sense of truly owning your Amazon customer. And this is where you sort of have to, you have to throw everything out there, sort of put everything on the board and say, well, if PPC is my pre-purchase to get somebody in the, in the door and transact with me, well, maybe I'm selectively using product inserts or a sticker or customizing my packaging to where that's my way of cultivating post-purchase value in the form of you name it, FA, you know, FAQs ebook or a right. coupon for your next purchase or a, a free sample. Free download, um, anything like that, yeah. Exactly. The immediacy of value post-purchase can be sort of your hedge of the fact that I'm not really owning pre-purchase. My billboard may be the best. It may have the best position on Amazon, but that I might weigh that against being able to own what the back half of that transaction, that customer experience uh, really looks like. Right. So does this does this kind of movement or of Google or any of those other services that we talked just talked about, does this invite black hat more into the fold or do you think this pushes more innovation in your mind? I think both. <laughs> I think both. And unfortunately, yeah, I was like, yeah. that's a, yeah, a double-edged sword. Like, of course it's going to do both, but where, where, where do you, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Uh, uh, no, I was going to say it's, everyone tries to tell like get away from the black hack tactics because if you get caught, you know, hand in the cookie jar, it's going right. to, it's not going to be well for your brand. But that being said, like with ways that you're being minimized in terms of how to either launch or grow or scale your business, do you think that that kind of pushes people more towards the dark side, light side? Like what does that look like for you guys? Or do you think comes from this? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great point. And, I, and honestly, I think it can lead to innovative black hat strategies at the same time. <laughs> you get this melding of all of these things together, right? That was um, genius, but those sons of bitches, like, are yeah. you kidding me? Like <laughs> something like that. Like, yeah, like that was definitely not okay, but it was definitely something very smart. So right. yeah, it, we've, we've all seen it done in various capacities and push the envelope. So yeah, it's, uh, so do you think like, is there, is there a way that you think that might be more predominant than the other? Like you might see something reemerge that we got rid of as sellers or that we saw disappear, but now might reemerge because of these efforts. Yeah. I mean, for, for the way my lens with which to view it, and I, I think this is, uh, uh, you know, I think it's a great way to sort of approach it is mm -hmm. 
the mechanisms that that are more more specifically owning and, and and again i'm i'm very biased to many chat because you sort of weigh something many chat and chat marketing in general and the ability to, to own the entirety of that customer journey and you weigh that against amazon they are in as absolute stark contrast as as you can imagine take again taking the the ppc billboard example it's it's you you pay to play to show up to transact versus many chat i can talk to that customer in real time automatically i can you know have certain conditions to customers going to certain parts of my flows and getting certain offers with certain eligibility requirements it's it's why we lean more heavily on those types of tools to kind of mitigate and hedge against the total lack of the, the relative lack of control on Amazon. So I think sellers really need to weigh that into their, their strategy of figuring out what's my highest control mechanism. Um, you know, we're still, we're seeing email sort of making a, a bit more of a comeback. Um, Messenger again has undergone its changes, but it's as imperfect as Amazon. There's, there's not like a, mm-hmm. you know, a disparity there necessarily. And then same with, the use of this customer data um, and and it kind of phasing out, sort of a mirror of that is how we use things like SMS via ManyChat because it can be a very intrusive way of contacting a customer unless yep. that customer really wants to know who you are and engage with you on an ongoing basis. So if you work with that premise, you really do cultivate a great relationship. Those types of high control but with great power comes great responsibility strategies are working absolutely. It's exceptional, right? Because at the same time, you know, if you have an objective you want to achieve on Amazon, if you send a customer a text message, they may be acting in five or 10 minutes. You send them an email, you're going to wait 48 hours to maybe get the open, to maybe get the click to like, you know, you go three, through 3% this. of, yeah, 3% of open rate and 3% exactly. conversion. Yeah. You, you, you funnel it all the way down there. So interesting. What about, um, so does this push people more towards platforms like a, a Shopify or like a, a commerce site that they have full compa- like full capacity in terms of like owning that customer journey, driving traffic, but then also capturing that information? Do you think this is another check mark and hey, get on freaking Shopify, get on these other marketplaces that your brand fits and your products fit? Is this just another push in that direction as well? I, I think so, but I, I I add that with a bit of hesitation because I I think you know my my determination for success when I look at a brand or you know running running a brand is you want to win a majority of if not all of your keywords for your product. Mm-hmm. There is probably about a handful of the millions of sellers on Amazon that really actually do that. Right. There's still so much meat on the bone for why you're on Amazon, how to win on Amazon, the potential of, of what that really looks like. So I, I worry about that for brands of thinking, oh, okay, here's this major change. Well, now I need to bolt on and more substantially increase my own website or, you know, this this other channel that I was maybe considering, but I don't have maybe the optimization know-how. I don't know what levers to pull to predictably scale there. And so there may be a sort of a, as a reaction, that pivot, but I, I would sort of add that as a bit of a, of a caveat of don't let it be so uh, damaging to the point where you're just reacting as opposed to sort of analyzing your strategy and saying, well, maybe I'm going to bolt on some of these higher control mechanisms. Like you can still scale your website, but you know, I know that there's a lot of lean operators, smaller teams, you know, you can only do so much. You can only right. spend your time in, in so many places to where if that's considered, just make sure it's not just a, oh, this happened, so I have to do this. It's more right. of, okay, I'm going to mitigate some of the downside by maybe growing my list. Maybe I start you know, uh, cross-pollinating my lists and some of my offers with my website. Interesting. So what's that line in the sand then, Troy? Like, what is, What's the point that's going to push Amazon sellers or 3P sellers? I... It can't function on this platform anymore. Like you take this away, I can't build a profitable business. Like what is that threshold, if you will? Like is is it a quantifiable, you know, thing that Amazon provides people like seller data in this example? I know you will see people, hey, like no more on Amazon, but like what's that quantifiable thing that's going to move people completely one way or another? Like if Amazon enhanced it or got rid of it entirely. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the answer in terms of 
innovation really uh, being a being a, a sort of a result of this. I think there's just always going to be ways of figuring out what Amazon rewards. And sometimes you may feel like you're doing it with, you know, one hand tied behind your back and, you know, you're, you're, um, you're limited in the ways in which you can do that. But I have seen sellers are creative. It, it is, it is wild to see how they can, uh, really grasp what the algorithm is sort of telling us reading, sort of reading the tea leaves and then being able to implement strategies that are relatively future proof, but will welcome some amount of adaptation because, you know, at the end of the day, we, we all get on Amazon to rank on Amazon. That's the pie in the sky is you're organically ranking to where if somebody searches for, you know, a, a relevant keyword, a keyword or phrase, you're the top result. You've won on the largest commerce platform to ever exist. So it's, um, it's one of those things where, what we know the algorithm wants is perceivably organic, diversified traffic turning into strong buyer intent. And this is where those control mechanisms with that lens and that strategy um, really, really aim to, to serve you. And so I think as long as we have some amount of control, which, which we should, right? We're driving external traffic. We have control over that mechanism. When you have a conversation or even if you're you know, utilizing emails, if you can close that loop, this one-way communication is what was really problematic with things like email mm -hmm. historically. Uh, SMS and Messenger obviously get around that where somebody can, you can have a conversation. Oh, we'll go complete this offer. Well, let's have our right. conversation. We can have the continuity. We can have the support. And we can ad address head-on the, the intentionally transactional nature that Amazon wants to be, right? They, their philosophy is you're transacting with their customer mm -hmm. and we always fight against that. Right. That's, that's like, that's the, the tug of war that we have. And this is where you get, you know, the interpretation of TOS and the spirit of selling on Amazon that that's really just not, not going to go away. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I feel like every, every year, every shoot for Amazon, every six months, we sort of have a new table that's set. But there are there are sort of threads of these consistent themes of what is the algorithm reward? You're on the platform because the the leverage, the ease with which you're you're able to access millions of customers. So you get there easy, and then the scalability is really what does the algorithm, you know, ultimately reward? And owning your customer is like that's that's a that's a crucial piece uh, in the equation. Right. So this affects not just like first time buyers, this change kind of affects like loyalty and customers and repeat buyers. Does this effectively enhance the need to advertise with like DSP or um, just any other sort of ad network that Amazon comes out with in the future? Does this like enhance that ability to say, look how more valuable we are. We know the customer. Like it's almost like you used to know the customer, but we actually know the customer. So you can get in front of that customer with our resources. Does that, does that lend that way to you at all? I think so. I think that's a bit of the organic transition where DSP has enough of a sort of an access barrier, but it has such great utility um, in terms of the insights. I mean, you have to spend hours and days and weeks to really take DSP to its potential. Um, but I think, I think you're right, Ryan. It's kind of like, this is this powerful thing that was sort of a supplement to where it's going to start expanding in terms of its influence and its value um, to sellers. We're, we're, you know, we're obviously utilizing it in our brands and that's what we're, we're exploring is what kind of advantage does this get for different audience networks, different audience insights, um, you know, different, ad, different ads that we can deliver at scale. Um, it's yeah, it's a really powerful, I think it's, it's getting to a place where it's going to be essential for most sellers to, to, to explore utilizing it really kind of validate it, but it is, it's also really robust. It's, it's a pretty, pretty huge system, um, from which Amazon, you know, makes all these little features available. Exactly. So you are a seller, like still you have brands on, on Amazon. What is your, like, what are the exciting things for people that you're still saying, Hey, even though all this is happening, shoot. You can still be a successful seller on Amazon. You can still build a successful brand. Like what, what are those things that you're still able to like lay up and say like, you got X, Y, and Z. 
there's still all this opportunity out there for people who might be like dipping their feet into your, to Amazon or selling on e-commerce. What's still that pitch still? Yeah. Uh, for no. you. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it, it, all of these changes are real for, for somebody who's maybe uh, just getting in or just kind of getting their, their legs underneath them in terms of selling on Amazon viewing these, a lot of these changes and a lot of the frustration positively, um, you know, the, the dust has yet to settle. And it's one of those things where that's what we're sort of doing with our brands is realigning our strategy and trying to create predictable scale. And so major shifts right now, I think are more exponential because you have a lot of people that are just unsettled that, you know, again, we see this on the many chat side where only just now is, is the foundation kind of reselling. Uh, this change, you know, a lot of people where they're delivering ads for external traffic, that mechanism may go away. They may explore DSP, but you know, maybe it's just an idea. They're not actually, you know, uh, pursuing it actively. So I think with, with all of it, it's, um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where if you can operate with more certainty and be a bit more aggressive, I think it presents a, a, sort of a unique opportunity. I, I had a conversation with a seller the other day about this and it's, my perspective is a sort of a, on the SaaS side versus mm -hmm. my perspective as a, as a, a seller is as a seller. I love this. I love it. It's great. You know, uncertainty uh, makes people lack confidence. They're not as quick to move. They don't maybe necessarily explore those opportunities, but as a tool provider, we want people to be like, Hey, like, you know, sort of, sort of chill, you know, f figure out maybe what you want to do next. You know, we offer different solutions and automations that support you, but it's, um, it's sort of the different perspectives you can take on this. But I think that's the key point is how you approach it. Um, I think it just, it can lend itself to somebody. If you just can cut through while everybody else is just sort of figuring out what's going on. Um, there's, there's more of exponential returns there. Absolutely. Innovation. That's where it comes from, but it also is the nightmare that keeps most SaaS companies up at night of yeah. God damn it. Amazon, <laughs> like yeah, one change and then you get calls from customers upon like emails. And like, I remember, and, th and this is a story I remember when Amazon changed like their review policy. I was actually with a friend of the show, Henson Wu. Like we were in person. This was what two years ago. Like the request request review tool became a one click automation function, and that was the core of their bit. Like still is a core of their business. They've innovated since then. But like emails upon emails and messages are like, oh, like it, you still use us. Like it's okay. But like then it's like months later. Like we had to like rewrite certain components of it we had to change other things that were just like the basis and foundation of what we built on and that's just frustrating from a from a SaaS company to constantly like again either launching your products being a uh, being a fire launch we did that probably like five different times like at least when i was there um i know other launch companies ppc companies are constantly changing and ebbing and flowing with more information they can get they can build out more features and functionalities and whatnot so it's just like, it's a dizzying place to be in. So why, why are you doing it? That's my <laughs> question. So like, why is seller tools still like, we're still going to stick it out. We're still going to be out there for our, like our customers. Why are you guys still doing that for them? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. And it, it's right at, right at the crux of, of, um, I think the point you made earlier in terms of innovation, it's, we see, okay, things aren't what they used to be. Things have, have changed quite dramatically. And so what unique way can we address a pretty glaring pain point while still focusing on the key objectives of Amazon? I always talk about ranking reviews like, you know, your day disproportionately should just get a quality product to Amazon and that's ranking reviews, ranking reviews like that is your 80-20 of success on Amazon. And so we really try to look at, we look at these sort of impediments, these hurdles that, that sellers are experiencing and then we sort of say, okay, how do we reverse engineer if, if ranking and reviews is still the disproportionate focus for them? How do we do that while addressing these pain points head on? Um, and so not to say it, you know, that some of the innovation itself hasn't presented some challenges. Um, you know, like I said, with, with many chat, a lot of people know us for that, you know, we had to weather that storm where, you know, so many were getting, you know, tag compliance, EU, uh, Facebook general sensitivity, you know, post election, post election, and we had to really, really sort of weather that. Um, but now on the other side, it's um, it's exciting to, to tackle these types of things, of figuring out how you can own your customer, reliably know who they are, understand that Amazon likes a higher quality customer. How do you kind of mitigate maybe deal chase? Like those types mm -hmm. of things that we know from just 
launching, you know, launching products and, and building brands, um, we know those pain points all, all too well. That's the stuff we deal with, you know, day in and day out. And it's our frustrations and, you know, beating on the desk for all the things that we have to deal with. But, uh, but yeah, and it's fun. That's the, that's the fun thing is right. that we can add the tech, we can add the automation and we're the same way with our brands. We're very small, very agile. So tools like ours almost become a necessity just by virtue of the fact that we don't like a lot of, a lot of bloat, a lot of excess. It's just, how do we get the most important things done and kind of, kind of scope from there. So, yeah, you said with mini chat, like, obviously that's your favorite topic. What, what changed? Like, I, I only know very high level information. What, what was the major component that changed, whether it's good or bad for sellers and then how sellers, if they haven't used mini chat, maybe they look at it as a component of their business moving forward. Yeah, it was, um, it was a kind of a wide variety of things that we saw, um, one after the other. So one of the things that popped up was, uh, tag compliance. And so there was the interpretation of how messenger Facebook, uh, shares how you're supposed to apply tags. And, uh, many sellers were running into sort of the misimplementation, the general misunderstanding and, uh, many chat has kind of helped to illuminate that a little bit more. Um, and it's become far more clear. Um, one of the other things that we saw was uh, Facebook pages being kind of pinged, um, that there was uh, claims of potential fraud, deception, where people were offering things, maybe using language they shouldn't have or not following through, and then a bad, you know, a customer is reporting them. But there seemed to be an elevated sensitivity to that for a pretty short period of time. Um, and so we were seeing that. We were seeing tags. We were seeing pages come down. We were seeing uh, EU. If you had somebody on your team who was uh, out of Europe, uh, admin notifications, you were getting, you were getting pinged and notified for that. And then EU uh, itself, um, European, uh, activity had its own set of rules and regulations, uh, to abide by. And so everybody was like, you know, really, really stressing themselves over all of these, this cascade of changes to where the, the, the dust has settled a lot more now for messenger and many chat. Um, but similarly in sort of a smaller scope, those that have pivoted to email SMS that have uh, created more lookalikes of their existing audience have, have focused on a warmer audience and gotten away from direct response. Uh, that's a big part in this too, in terms of owning your customers. If you're not always constantly kind of throwing out your fish pole to find, you know, uh, fish in this analogy is instead taking the reality of Amazon, how easy it is to transact and focusing more on the post-purchase is you can just talk, you can, you can, open up that communication loop with that customer. You can encourage sharing with friends and family. You can even potentially even incentivize it to where you grow from a, a far more receptive audience instead of just throwing out that fishing pole and seeing, you know, who's going to, who's going to bite. Yeah. Um, where, where's the information that people can like just grasp, but like Amazon's not going to, you know, rain on my parade. Like what are the ways that, is there like a list or is there like certain ways that people can look and say like, oh, this is like an easy thing for me to do. Like, is it an insert? Is it a uh, product, you know, photography or, or part of the packaging? What are the easy ways for people to consume? Like, maybe I really look at this a lot more and try to come up with my own idea that I'm not going to get in trouble with, right? That's everyone's major focus is I don't want to get in trouble with Amazon, but I also want to innovate and grow. What are yeah. those ways that people can push the boundaries? I say push boundaries, like within reason. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, one of the things that we, not to, not to pitch this, but we just did it. And I think it's a great way to approach it is, um, with that product insert strategy, we actually have a free flow that, that helps to do this where you can, oh, cool. have your, yeah, have your customer scan a QR code, go through a mini chat flow. You can offer them a free product, a free sample, uh, value. You want to focus just purely on value, right? Post-purchase. And then, uh, what we're actually able to do with that is, now you might think, okay, well, I'll just request a review right in mini chat. What we can actually do is trigger the, uh, Amazon TOS compliant review request. So we just use the function of mini chat to time that well to where you have this goodwill, right? If, if, you know, somebody sends you a, a $20 gift, you probably have a, a nice and, and happier and warmer feeling about them versus they just transacted with you on Amazon. They're just a, one of one of many on their list of orders that they've completed yeah. as an Amazon shopper. So that helps you get in front of them, deliver value. You can decide to request a review or you can take it for what it is. If now you have the value of a customer and you can kind of grow from that center. As soon as they're in mini chat, you start to know who they are. You can you know request additional information, but Facebook 
gives you a lot more insights at that customer sort of customer avatar level. Um, but it's far more granular than just transacting with them on Amazon. And now we know again, what kind of reports you don't get to know who, who that customer uh, is. What's the must know piece of information, like to have a customer, is it the email? Is that the, the golden goose? Like that's the thing you have to have in order to make a, a relevant audience look like, or a relevant, you know, customer, you know, audience essentially like that's the one component that you have to have not name not phone number what's the most valuable piece of information you can get from a customer I, we like to have both honestly we like to have email and sms i, know. Okay. <laughs> I thought i was gonna get one or the other but i know both. i'm okay. sorry email, email is strong now phone numbers have the, the greatest confidence level right so if we if we think about this and this is something we're exploring more is how um you know your phone number you've probably had it for what two five Maybe ten years. Probably ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Same goes for me. It's, so it's a, it was when it was when uh, Singular was bought oh. out by Amazon. <laughs> no, who bought Amazon? It was like a orange like logo. I forget. I think it's Singular. Singular. Yeah. That was a long time. That was at least twelve years ago. Did you have like a Nokia phone too? No. Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I've. What did Amazon become? Maybe I did. Maybe yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I might have. <laughs> but like, but so this is the funny thing. I say that because some company has bought like the data from singular and now they can spam my phone number, which is why I know it's like, oh yeah, if you have seven, six, five, or that's my area code from North Indy to Lafayette or, you know, to close to near Chicago is if you have that phone number, you're definitely going to get spam because if it looks like, because you get those, you know, spam calls now and it's really frustrating. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> you're saying phone number number one key, or is part of the key to, along yeah. with uh, email. Okay. Yeah, it's very yeah very strong. If you can capture both, and obviously this just starts painting more of a picture of who your customer is. ManyChat makes this really nice, where you can create lookalikes right in their tool, right in their platform. So it really just kind of feeds into itself. And I like the analogy of kind of a snowball. Is once once you have fifty customers coming in. Once you start knowing who they are, capturing phone number, capturing email, you can create a relevant lookalike audience. You can serve them a flow that incentivizes sharing to friends and family. That may be another really captive audience, uh, in-market, uh, product-relevant, captive audience. Um, but then you really start growing it from there. And, and the beauty, too, is once you have phone numbers, you don't need this exorbitant list of you know, 5,000, 10,000 customers you can have a very curated VIP list of 1,500, maybe even 2,000 people that once you have that awesome open rate, awesome follow through rate, and you handle it with really great care, um, that's, yeah, it's it's really powerful. Yeah. So what, and so when you basically have built that look like audience, like I say, it doesn't have to be big. What is the, what's that look like to your audience? Are you serving them relevant sales information, relevant, like what are you guys doing to say like, handle with care when that, what does that mean to you? Like, is it certain cadences that you're always going to send? How often you're going to be sending them information? You don't want to spam them, but what does that like look like package that you guys tell to sell? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're taking to like a lookalike of, let, let's say it's a hundred of your current customers and you've brought them mm -hmm. in post-purchase, you have, you know, you have their messenger information, you have email, you have phone, and then you create a lookalike of that. Uh, audience now, mind you, you'd probably want to go a little bit more than more than a hundred. Of course, more the better. More data, right? Of course, it's a clear picture. This is where tools like Zontracker are really powerful. Again, for um, giving you kind of a more complete tapestry of what that audience is and can be. Um, but then, what we often do is still build out a funnel, sort of a top, middle, and bottom of funnel. And this is where, depending on your budget, depending on your ad spend, you may be kind of mitigating more of that or doing less of that top of funnel. Let's say it's not as informational. It's not as, you know, how you can use this product or how it, how it resonates with the niche. Maybe it's more getting into offers, getting into, um, you know, getting into interest and getting more direct response too, right? Where, um, you know, I like, I really like things like BOGO offers, which fit mm -hmm. very nicely with some of the categories I sell in, but usually the numbers make more sense. Um, and it also is a little bit more compelling, sometimes visually, sometimes again, what your product is, but it's more direct response without just saying, here's 50% off, here's 70, you know, just an over the top, uh, offer to get, to get a customer in. So it is still building out a funnel. It's still trying to kind of give them a, enough of an experience to warm them up. Uh, if your budget permits, 
Um, but yeah, that's a, that's an audience too. We'd, we'd go back to, um, and try to, try to, try to get them to transact. Um, but I, what I would say is that thousand foot view in terms of your overall strategy is just making sure that however you're getting your, your both pre and post purchase is that you're feeding into this a lot more and not making these types of executions one-off where you're just doing, you know, oh, okay, now I've got a hundred, now I've got a lookalike audience because you're sort of leaving parts of your audience on the sidelines. A paid, paid broadcast message, let's say you've exhausted your 24 hours, you've exhausted your, your um, one-time notification. You may go back to those hundred customers and say, hey, we have this other product, adding in another relevant keyword that you may be interested in. As part of it, we'd love it for you to share in your social media channels to be eligible for this offer. So letting your audience create your audience is also a, a big part and should be a big part of your strategy. That's, that's the other aspect of using chat marketing or Facebook centric marketing is people are already kind of in that social mindset. There's not this hesitation necessarily to share if you make it quite easy. Um, mm -hmm. and that's where you can bolt that on uh, versus just saying, I've got one audience, I need to make another one. It's how do I grow this thing to where it starts to feed itself? And then you're curating as opposed to just Okay, I'll just take whoever whoever comes in the door. I'll take. Well, who's following through? How are they acting? How are they responding to my bots? What kind of offers are, are more compelling to them? And then you get to have some fun with the segmentation and the curation. Well, even on top of that, you can go down the funnel of, you know, hey, I'm looking for more uh, lifestyle imagery for a new product or a product that you purchased. Hey, if you send us images of your product that you purchased, we would love to feature those in our social channels or just tag us or whatnot. And you use the social proof of your customers to post, post it on again, the influencer network that they're more than likely to be sharing this on um, and tagging you into it, building up the proof people end up following you. So it's easier to get those free audiences and build up those social channels as well. But then again, um, you know, working that influencer network or the micro influencer network to really tout, like you said, share with friends and family or share with your audience or build it out with this. And then even giving them, you know, free product or like say, Hey, we'll give you a discount in the future for the next product or next product launch. So yeah, I, I agree with you. That's, that's really people, how are they're trying to innovate and use those audiences to, to manufacture like this wave to again, make your brand feel better when you go to exit, make you more valuable in that context as well. So also I know we're at the top of the hour, which again, an hour always flies by with me. I, I've always <laughs> just told people it's going to be an hour. Like you never know, like where I was going to go down a rabbit hole, but, um, but yeah, Troy, what, what are the best ways that people can learn more about you seller tools? Um, because obviously we, we just scratch the surface and like owning an audience What are the best ways they can learn more about the things you guys are doing or connect with you in general. Yeah. No, the first thing I would mention is um, what we touched on in terms of that uh, product insert flow. And we actually have a template for the product insert you can take a look at. Um, you can find that at bit.ly backslash free gift flow um, or through the seller.tools blog. So we definitely encourage checking that out. If you're looking at ways of kind of building out your post-purchase strategy, um, everything is also fully customizable. A lot of times you see a, you see a template and you think, oh, I, I only have to use this or I can't change anything. But whether it's the messaging, whether it's the sequence, uh, that's the real beauty of using a tool like uh, Minichat and, and Seller Tools. Um, but yeah, I would love to, you know, if, if people want to join us in FBA Kings, if you're not already part of that, definitely join the, the group of conversation there. And then, um, yeah, reach out anytime, seller.tools, hello at seller.tools. You can always mention uh, if you have any questions for me. Glad to help everybody out. But, uh, but yeah, there's some ways to get in touch. Awesome. And thanks for everyone watching again from Christina. Great stuff, guys. Entertaining and really informative. So we appreciate all the social commentary. It's always good to know that people care about what we're talking about, right? Like you don't want to talk about, <laughs> and no one's listening. So it's always good. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. But, uh, and that, that's where like things like, uh, freaking clubhouse and other things exist out there. So I'm getting into that. So it's, we'll have to start. I don't know. Are you, are, does seller tools do rooms and, um, we haven't yet. We haven't. Okay, I've been so scared. I've been like trying not to fall down the rabbit hole. You said I've, I've, I've been on a, in a few rooms and it's been great, but, um, I'm, I'm handling it with caution. I call it, I call it uh professor office hours. Almost like when I see more brands and more service providers, they're just like, yeah, this is our two week, uh, room that people can just like listen to. And I'm like, how do you like put built that into your schedule? It's, it's unreal. <laughs> but I mean, they have 
a couple hundred people in there listening. So it's, mm-hmm. it's obviously very informative and people can kind of educate in that space too. So always happy to chat with you. Yeah. So friend of the room or friend of the room, friend of the show now. Yeah. This is not a room uh, <laughs> on, on clubhouse, but maybe we'll get there one day, but Hey, uh, Troy, thank you so much for hopping on today and uh, spending some time to educate the audience. Yeah. Thanks Ryan. Really appreciate it. Awesome. And again, this is crossover commerce. Thank you for everyone who is joining us live on social media again we're on youtube facebook linkedin and twitter if this is your first time or if you have been here for all 70 i guess what 74 75 72 we'll get there eventually 72 episodes thanks for joining us for another episode we'll be live again tomorrow um in our audience we'll be uh bringing you the best tips and tricks in the e-commerce and amazon space so make sure you follow us on social media follow me on linkedin facebook or search crossover commerce with ryan kramer on facebook as well for upcoming episodes, but definitely go check out seller.tools for more information with Troy and his team over there. Um, Great stuff as always. Again, Ryan Kramer with the show Crossover Commerce. Make sure you tune in uh, every every four to five days or so we'll be going live. So if you can't catch us live, watch a replay on YouTube or go to where you listen to your podcast and search Crossover Commerce. Uh, We'll catch you guys next time on another episode of the show. Thanks.